Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 25 of my podcast, I Stand Strong. As always, I am uh, Teddy, coming at you from my brand new bear cave. Uh, Well, not brand new, but my new bear cave in the now snow-covered forests of the Midwest. Um... So yeah, I, you know, it's been a little bit since I've recorded. I've been settling into my new house here in the Midwest and uh, have just recently started getting all my stuff kind of set up nicely. So uh, you'll notice there's a bit of an echo, unfortunately, that is due to my room that I record in is not really the most filled right now. So it's got a little bit of an echo, but hopefully that doesn't become too annoying and I'm sorry if it does. Uh, yeah, so nothing much has been going on with me, just working and unpacking and that kind of stuff, but I have in my downtime, after finishing watching one of my favorite YouTube channels, uh, Outside Extra, they, I finished watching Ellen play Dark Souls 3. Now that I had my TV and everything hooked up and it made me really want to go back and play Dark Souls 3. So I went back through through Dark Souls 3, which then made me want to really, really go back and play Bloodborne through again. So I played back through Bloodborne again. So, excuse me. So that kind of made me wonder, um, that and, you know, just because of what I watch on YouTube, it pops up a lot of... I kind of just decided to need to get back up on the horse and, you know, record another episode. So I decided I'd do one about my favorite bosses in the FromSoft games. Um, now, I, you know, I I realized to myself as I was figuring this one out, though, if I were just to do my favorite bosses, almost all of them would come from like a couple of games. So I'm just decide basically I'm gonna kind of just do two from each of the games that I've played. Um, I'm currently in the middle of playing Demon Souls, so I really won't throw in anything from Demon Souls in there, even though I do kind of think there are some cool looking bosses in there. So yeah, I'm just gonna kind of go through. It. And another little brief side note is Dark Souls Two was extremely forgettable to me. It just didn't capture me. I played it through and got through the main quest never touched the DLCs. It just, it it felt clunky to me, but anyways, so I had to really do some work to figure out what bosses, like I had to like physically go online and be like, okay, what were the bosses that really stood out to me? And as I was reading their names, I'm like, okay, that one, that's right. I remember that one. So yeah, so, um, so yeah, basically I'm just going to do the, the three Dark Souls games, Bloodborne, Sekiro, and I'm throwing an Elden Ring in there, even though I think, you know, yeah, Elden Ring, I mean, Elden Ring is is the new hotness kind of thing. But I, I definitely, you know, in, in hindsight, don't think it's the greatest game they've put out there. But I do find some aspects I like of it. So, yeah, I guess we'll just, uh, we'll start at the beginning, shall we, with uh, Dark Souls. Um, my two there, my first one I'm going to go with is... I feel like it's a must for any FromSoft game. It is the best experience, one of the best experiences they put out there, which is Orstein and Smau from 
the first game is probably one of the best boss fights they've put out. Not only from the standpoint of the the beautiful like pillared arena, but also it's the one time they've managed to truly nail a two on one bus boss fight and make it work. Um, it's really hectic because you know you have Orstein who's like incredibly fast using lightning attacks, and you have Smo always like kind of in the back. With But if he hits you once, it's going to do massive damage. So they really managed to find a way to make a balance of those two that I really don't feel like they've ever fully captured again. I mean, like they tried in Elden Ring with the Godskin duo, but they made them both super fast and super hard hitting and have the... Whether they agree, admit it or not, they've got input reading when you go to heal... Um, but anyways, uh, you know, it's takes place in this giant, I don't really even like, you know, like just giant hall with all these pillars. So it's a really good balance of, you know, trying to kite or steam around these pillars so smoke can't get to you at first. And you can kind of pick off or steam while also trying to keep an eye out just in case he does manage to lure you somewhere near, you know, smell. But it's, there's a balance to it that's amazing. And then, of course, there's the the infamous, uh, you know, whichever one you take out first, the other one gets the, the first one's power. So, like, you know, Orstein's usually the best one to take out first because the last thing I'd want is a smell who, or a, an Orstein who's fast and hits super powerful. So, but, you know, I, I've probably, I imagine there are probably people who do go out of their way to try to get it the other way around. Because I know you only get the soul of the one you kill second, I believe. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's just this, this balance that is just great. You know, like I said, you're you're constantly moving. You wait for, you know, Orsine to make a big swiping strike at you that gets you some distance you get a couple hits and you have to get your distance i mean given as you're going if you're not careful smell does destroy a lot of those pillars which then they stop being really a good protection so you've got to also have this time frame in there that you don't want him to destroy too many of those pillars before he transforms or you're kind of you, you know you don't really have the the room to get the distance um so yeah, I think that like like I said, I, th I think what really I think that is the that is like the ultimate battle in in FromSoft games to me. Like even some of the greater games that I've like even some of the games I preferred better, I don't think they've ever found anything that's really had that feel that Orstein and Smell bring to the table with that boss fight. Um. You know, just anything that has an epic cutscene. You know, you walk into this great hall, and there's Orstein standing up on this, you know, balcony, and he jumps down, and then Smau comes down behind him, and you, you know, so you got Orstein with this giant spear, and you know, charged with lightning, and this badass dragon slayer armor, and then you have Executioner Smau behind him, who's just massive, with this big old hammer that is co almost comically big sometimes. You know, it's, it's just, it's the, the, 
it's the peak boss fight, I think. So I really felt like I'd be cheating if I didn't put that. I mean, I could have said I'm cheating by putting it on there because nobody's going to disagree that that's one of the best boss fights in the FromSoft games. Um, okay, and then so for my second one, I'm going to the DLC because I remember this boss fight just being the one that like actually pushed me the hardest. And that's Knight, the Knight or Artorius. Because the whole main game, you keep hearing the stories of Artorius and how he was this, you know, this great knight of Gwyn who, you know, he sacrificed himself to stop the, you know, stop the the abyss from spreading in this ancient city of Ulysil. Well, at some point in time, you know, in, in the DLC, you get to go back in time and basically you see when this whole thing was happening. And spoiler alert, you actually kind of find out that Arturius wasn't the hero of the situation you were, but he was credited with it because nobody wanted to, you know, everybody wanted to have that legend. Um, so much so that I mean, like, you even fight his great wolf Sif in the main game, which is another awesome boss fight, but incredibly heartbreaking. But, you know, you find out that basically what happened was Arturius did, you know, was very gallant and held on for as long as he could. But he eventually becomes possessed or, like, you know, corrupted by the abyss. And, you know, when you fight him, he's got, like, one arm that's just, like, completely, like, hanging loosely at his side. Because he, I think it's, like, the, the lore was he destroyed his, like, his arm got destroyed because he threw his shield over Sif to protect Sif in that that moment so that you know Sif wouldn't die but you know he so basically he saved his wolf with his last thing but you know then you get into the fight itself where it's you know you walk into this it almost looks like the Colosseum you know gladiatorial Colosseum and there's you know like he comes flying in and kills this like weird looking creature with this massive sword and then throws it at you and then you're off to the races and he does not let up. So it's like this fight just like, I remember I almost threw my controller a couple times because of just how nonstop he is. And then every once in a while he does what a lot of people like, you know, like I thought it was first at first. And, um, I remember watching, a you know, somebody else do a playthrough and they thought he does an AOE. So like, you know, get away, get away. He does this AOE. Damn it. Hit my mic. Um, but it's not an AOE. It's a charge up. So it's like almost like you don't want to, you want to get in there when he's doing it and try to stop him from doing this because if he charges up, like his damage goes through the roof, but he has these attacks that are just like, they've got really good tells. The trick is figuring out like, how many he's going to do. Like he has this like flipping downward strike that if he only does it once, you can roll to the the right, get out of the way, get a couple hits and get out of there. But sometimes he'll do two. Sometimes he'll do three. Um, but then he, you know, he's got like, you know, these like, like, you know, jumps up in the air and comes flying at you with the massive attacks. I mean, just, it is so balls to the wall sometimes that you've, it's just intense, but when I beat him, I remember like, you know, the God, I probably fought him like 50 times. When I finally beat him, 
I just felt, oh my God, this guy was, this was an epic fight. Like I, I realized the endorphin rush was there and I was never really angry at the, the fight itself. I was angry at myself for not recognizing a tell or like he never came off as like cheap. Like I said, the Godskin duo and Elden Ring, to me, they always felt cheap. Because, like, even when you fought them separately, because, like, somehow it, you know, like, like I said, I think there's input reading because, you know, you'd you'd be able to do really good. Then you go to heal and they throw a black firebomb and stop your healing. He never had anything like that. He had clear moments where you could get your distance and get a heal. And then he had his clear times when you just had to keep on the move. And then, you know, there, you know, then you have the other, you know, the other arguments and, you know, do you want to keep your shield in and bother trying to block any attacks or do you just want to depend on your dodging? I personally found the dodging working best because most of his attacks did so much damage that they'd break your, you know, they'd break your stamina bar if you tried to keep your shield up anyways. But, you know, so I think like this one, it kind of goes to the lore and the the fight itself. It was just like, you know, this moment where you realize, oh God, this guy wasn't, you know, like, yeah, he was a hero in a way, but he wasn't the hero you became, you know, that everybody claims him to be. And it is kind of cool that later on in that DLC, you do get to save Sif from the abyss and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, he's just like, you know, he's, it's in, in both situations, you're fighting these characters, these, these, Knights of legend, so to speak, of Gwen, you know, the the man who sacrificed himself to keep the first flame burning kind of thing. And both of them are some of the most epic things. I mean, it's like, and it, and I could actually argue, like, other than the DLC stuff, after Orstein and Smell, the, the storyline and bosses kind of diminish a little bit in the original Dark Souls Unless you, uh, you know, minus Gwen himself. Because Gwen himself was kind of a cool fight, too. But, yeah. So, like... So, yeah. My two choices... I'll just wrap it up there. My two choices would be Orstein and Smau, number one. Because it's just... It's like the ultimate fight. Not to mention, you know, by the time you get to them, you're just so excited you've got a boss fight. Because the boss fight can't possibly be any harder than the area you're in beforehand. Because N. Orlando is just cheap as fuck to get to that point um and then knight artorius because it's just the lore that gets told the realizations involved and the fight itself are just beautiful to me um okay so now we're gonna move on to dark souls 2 which like i said I'm just going with the ones that stood out to me as being ones just reading their names and remembering, hey, I remember fighting these guys and liking the boss, you know, bosses. So I'm not going to speak as long on these ones. Um, One of them is the Demon of Song, which I don't know what other people think on the Demon of Song, but it's like basically this giant frog that opens its mouth and there's a skull inside and arms come out and you can only hit it when the mouth is open. But I think what I like, what I remember liking about this boss fight, even though it wasn't really a a typically hard one or anything was just the arena, the music 
and the feel of the fight was just like it was atmospheric that really worked. Um, and I like I kind of like the mechanic of oh yeah, you can't just go in there bolt guns a blazing because you can only hit the face when the mouth is open. So it is in a way a little bit of a puzzle boss. Like you can't just do what most people argue is the the generic tactic of Dark Souls, and that's hug the booty and attack. Um, because you can't get any damage done unless you can get to the face. So, um, so yeah, so that's just a quick summary of that one. And then I'm going to go with the Looking Glass Knight is the other one because there was something about this one. I think if I remember right, it's you're in this. I just remember fighting somewhere when it's like, if I remember right, it's like just pouring rain and you got this giant knight with a shield that every now and then he can spawn um if you're online it can spawn uh other players to come in and fight you or if you're not online i think it just spawns like npc characters um to fight you and i just remember it being really cool like an atmosphere, and I think the couple times I did play it, and I did get somebody who wasn't just an NPC, it was a significantly hard fight because not only are you fighting him, you're fighting this, you know, like this summoned phantom essentially. Um. So yeah, like I said, I knew I was gonna bust through Dark Souls two pretty quick because Dark Souls two isn't really my my jam. I know it's the the one that kind of take or leave with almost everybody in the, the FromSoft community. A lot of people really like it. Um, as I've dug through the lore, I've appreciated the story more to find out there is kind of subtle things, if you really dig, that prove into being part of Dark Souls 1 and Dark Souls 3. But it's a lot more hidden. Um, so yeah. So with Dark Souls 3... I really had to struggle to find which ones I like the most because there are so many great bosses in Dark Souls. And I didn't want to just go to the DLC ones because the DLC bosses usually stand out way higher to me anyways. But so I went with one DLC boss and one regular game boss. For the one in the regular game, I went with the Abyss Watchers who, who actually are greatly tied to Artorias. They're like this group of guys that like basically um, from right, they like idolized Artorias. So like they decided they were going to watch the abyss and protect it, you know, like basically protect our world from the abyss if it ever rises up again. So it's this giant army. The problem was being close to the abyss for as long as they were, they start corrupting them. So it's like as you're going into the arena, you can like actually hear all this fighting going on. And you go in there and it's like basically the Abyss Watchers are killing each other. And at the beginning of the game, and this is this is this is one where it gets really is where I think this fight really stands out. At the beginning of the fight, you're fighting one of them. And then all of a sudden, like one more gets like spawned in. And he can help, like, or you get to, I think as you get to a certain life and another one comes, comes back to life and comes in and fights you. And then, but at the same time, one will get spawned in. 
that will somewhat help you unless you accidentally aggro them and then they turn on you too and you got three of them to fight. But anyway, so it constantly keeps this like, but they're so fast. They don't hit as hard as Artorias, but they have like similar moves and it's really, really good. It's really, really epic fight. And then if I remember, you get the, the life bar all the way down the health bar all the way down and like basically this one of them will absorb the power of all the rest of them and then like you've got to fight this one that now has a flaming sword and it's just it really does kind of feel like it captures some of the aspects of Artorias but with its own little twist and it's another fight where I lost track of how many times I lost to them the first time I fought them. Like this last playthrough I did, I beat them, I think, on like the third or fourth go. But I was also like way over leveled by the time I got to them because I'd done some extra power leveling, which is kind of something I, you know, I like to do in those games. Um, but anyways, yeah, so, but they're like this, Really fast pace, but never unfair, once again, boss fight. And it, it can seem like they might be unfair at points because, yeah, you are fighting two of them at times and they are fast. So there's like there's really no way of, quote unquote, kiting one away from the other and getting a whole lot of time. But it never felt bullshit. I'll put it that way. Um so yeah, and, and I just realized as I'm looking at my list for Dark Souls 3, both of these fights that I'm about, the second that, that fight and the second fight I mentioned, both actually have similarities to my Dark Souls 1 picks. But, huh. Anyways, uh, so I guess number two for Dark Souls 3. Um, I'm going to go with Sister Freed, and I want to say it's Father... Ariandel? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Um, I only have Sister Freed written down, but it's uh, the DLC Ashes of Ariandel, which is probably isn't the best DLC, but man, this boss, it's the final boss of that DLC, and man, it is awesome. And I'll get into how it ties into the first one in a second. But you you meet Sister Freed earlier in the earlier in the level with while you're going around she like warns you basically to just go back to your home you know there's nothing wrong with this world even though you can see this world has been like is like poisoned um and you eventually free a, a girl and i want to say it's something about freeing her like basically opens up your ability to get to the heart of the world, which is in this like Ariandel chapel. And when you get in there, you find this like really big guy staring at a bowl, something and saying, you know, muttering in a very thick, I want to say it's Scottish accent, something about bringing, you know, getting sister freed to bring him his flail. He can see a spark because like the last thing they want is the flames to come back in this world. And sister freed enters behind you and basically, you know, Says some along the lines of like I warned you to stay away, and she's like, "There's no." She tells Father Ariandel, "There's no need for his flail. She will take care of it." And then kicks off a fight where she's she's incredibly fast, incredibly strong, but then she does like these little moves that make her invisible at points. 
But what I didn't realize the first couple times I fought her that really made it frustrating was when she does the disappear move, there will be a tell of what, what direction she went. Like, because there's like snow on the ground, kind of. So there's three different directions. She can either go left, right, or straight up, which means she'll land behind you. And if you watch, she'll do the thing that makes her invisible, and then there'll be a flurry. And if that flurry looks like it goes straight up, you just look behind you and get to her before she does this attack, because she usually does this really strong power attack that'll just fuck your shit up if you're not careful. If the flurry goes left, you want to look to the right. If it goes to the right, you want to go to the left. But... It's this really great thing, but then like a crazy thing, you're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I, you know, yeah, I'm doing really good. You get through this and you beat her. And you're like, yes, I beat her. And then Father Ariandel gets pissed and he comes in. And this is where it ties into my Dark Souls 1. One of my Dark Souls 1 picks is this fight in the second phase becomes the closest to Orstein and Smao I've ever found in a FromSoft game since then. And that's that she's really fast and he is slow, but if he hits you, it does some massive damage. Where they did change a little bit, and I actually am glad they did, was in this one, Ariandel and Freed share one life bar. So you don't have to worry about killing one or the other. You just have to do damage to one or the other and the life bar goes down. Now, is it better to go after Ariandel? Hell yes, because he's slower as long as you can dodge his big attacks and you can watch out for Freed's, uh, like she'll send these ice fields that put um, frostbite on you. And if you get frostbite, it like severely limits how quickly your stamina comes back and everything, which can be a big detriment. But, um, but yeah, so you get to the sec, you know, you, you, if you start like focusing on him, you just watch for the big attacks kind of, you know, this is where it almost does feel kind of like a typical joke Dark Souls tactic of hug his backside and just go to town on him. And while watch it, trying to watch for what Ariandel's or uh, Sister Freed's doing because she can unleash some pretty badass attacks that just, like I said, will mess you up. And if she stun locks you at the wrong point in time, Father Ariandel will finish, off, finish you off. Not to mention he can dump like lava at you and stuff like that out of the bowl he carries. Instead of using a flail, the flail like he mentioned, I would have loved to see what this flail looks like, but um, he just has this giant bowl that he'll smash you with and it it hurts. And you get their life bar down and you're like, oh my God, this is this was amazing. This is amazing. And then you realize there's a third phase. And it does come off as bullshit at first. <laughs> but you'll hear like Arendelle talking something about, I can't remember what he says, but then she comes back and now not only does she have her ice attack, but she also has black flame, which is like brutal against you if you're not careful. But really her attacks don't change much from first to third phase. Like n at no point in time do her attacks really change a lot. So as long as you get down her tells, she's not hard. It's just now dodging the extra AOE of the Black Flame every now and then or, you know, and whatnot. Um, but it's just this, once again, very intense, 
very frustrating but never not fun boss fight. Um, yeah, God, I just and like and then like FromSoft never skimps on the music either. They're even when it's a bad boss fight, you usually at least got some badass music playing, like some really really good epic music in the background. And this one I really remember standing out as far as like the music really intensifies. Like when you get to that third phase, that music kicks into full gear on you. Um, so yeah, that finishes up Dark Souls 3. And now we're getting to the one that if I only did the best bosses, chances are most of them would come from this game. And that's Bloodborne because Bloodborne is, in my opinion the best of the FromSoft games. Like, there's just something about the feel of that game, the lore of that game. It just speaks more to me. Um, not to mention, it's also way more of a fast-paced game. It's not so much, you know, like, they, they even make the joke in there, you can find a shield, but it's like, doesn't supply, you know, doesn't really give much protection. And plus, it's hard to, you know, hard to really kill something when you're just being a turtle hiding behind a shield kind of thing. Um... But I also think the, the reason Bloodborne stands out better to me is I also like the whole gothic Victorian slash Lovecraftian horror feel of the game. But anyways, so the first pick I'm going to go with is a DLC boss from the Old Hunters DLC. And I could have gone with Orphan of Cause because that fight is pretty intense you know, taking place on a beach and this beautiful thing, plus the just the sheer intensity of that boss fight is amazing. So that's kind of an honorable mention in a way. But I'm actually going to go with Lady Maria of the Astral Clock Tower just because it's a regular sized person versus you. It's it's almost like fighting an NPC, like a, a summoned NPC character, um, except way more intense. And it's in this like you know like I say it's in a it's in a clock tower so you're in this room with the far end when you come in there's like the fa like the glass face of a clock and that's the only light coming into the room and there's this <clears throat> lady sitting in a chair well dead lady sitting in a chair and she almost look she almost looks like a pirate I love her clothes but uh so she's kind of just chilling there and you go in an inspector and she grabs your hand as you go to touch her and says something. You know, I can't, I can't remember her line now, but anyways, you know, and, and you do kind of have to get into her lore to understand exactly how she fights, but she has a blade that can go both, you know, connect like kind of like Darth Maul where it's like one blade with two, you know, uh, one weapon with two blades, or she can disconnect them and go full ham on you. But she's super fast, super intense, and once again, she's got a three-phase system that is just, it works. You know, her first one, she's just fighting you. She's going all, you know, going balls to the wall. You got to really, really get used to her, connect, you know, her, uh, her patterns. But once you get her patterns, you can kind of get into a flow of just back and forth with her. Um... But then in the second phase, she'll fall back and she'll take her sword and stab herself, which then starts blood magic or like blood damage, which 
adds like kind of an AOE or like it extends the distance of her wet, her attack. So basically her, her slash only went, you know, a couple feet in front of her. Now it kind of goes out a little further. So it doesn't really change her attack patterns as much as it changes just how far out you have to be. But then again, you know, you got to get, you know, in Bloodborne, you almost have to be right up in their face for it. Um, but anyway, so, she, you know, then, so now you've got this blood damage that just adds a whole other peak to the thing. And you just have to, once again, kind of learn her systems, learn where, where the safe parts are. I think she does get a few new attacks in that second phase. I can't really remember off the top of my head if she does get more attacks or if the other the the other attacks can happen in the first phase or just less like I think there's like certain attacks that get more likely in the second phase. Um but once again, you you know you get into your your you know your your system of fighter and then eventually she goes to a third phase which adds fire. So now she's got fire damage and blood damage. <laughs> And this sounds incredibly overstocked, but the balance of it is why it's amazing. It really is just kind of like she'll do the blood swing and you'll have that blood damage. But then usually it's just like an uh, after AOE of, of fire. But it makes for this really intense, you know, balance that they found in this fight that I do not know how they found it because... Balrog is even talking about it. It sounds like there should be no balance in this fight. It should just be, what the fuck is going on? This is so bullshit. But it's not. It's just, you know, like you still have your times to get your healing in. Because, like, there is a little bit of a cooldown on some of her attacks. So she'll do, like, one of maybe one of her bigger attacks. And then she'll stop for a few seconds to, you know, kind of get reset. And you have time to heal up real quick in case you took some damage there. And it's also one of those ones where when you finish the fight, you feel you feel like you really accomplished something, which is why I think what which is where the best of FromSoft comes from. Like is when you get to a boss and you're banging your head against the boss and you finally beat him, you're like, okay, there's a sense of accomplishment there. She has that sense of accomplishment. Not to mention it's also badass because you beat her and then you can get her her clothes and you can look like a pirate for the rest of the DLC and the what what little is left on the game depending on when you started the DLC. But and when you dig into her lore, you do kind of find out that there is a a very deep lore to who she was, why she was where she was, and why she has the you know like some of the wep the abilities she has, and it's really kind of cool. Um, yeah, so Lady Maria of the Astral Clock Tower, probably one of the most beautiful and epic boss fights there is. Um, from my other one in Bloodborne, this was a tough one, but I went with the technical last boss of Bloodborne, Garman the First Hunter, probably because of the lore behind the fight, as well as the arena, you know, you, you meet him at the foot of the tree, and he's in this wheelchair and the entire game you've been interacting with him but he's been in this wheelchair and he seems so frail and then he offers to basically like get you out of the hunter's dream 
which is basically you'll you submit your life, he kills you, you'll wake up, you won't remember the hunt of the night before. And this thing starts over again. If you say no, he basically gets upset and asks you why you refuse to exit the dream or whatever. You know, he asks you if it was the blood, the hunt. Oh, God, I can't remember what the the third option was. But then he he says, oh, it doesn't matter. Tonight, Garman joins the hunt. And he pulls out this freaking big-ass sickle. And it's, you know, and then you, you realize, okay, wait a second. If he's the first hunter, he's the first one to have a trick weapon. Because all the weapons in Bloodborne, well, most of the weapons in Bloodborne have trick weapons. So, like, you know, like, I usually fought with either the saw cleaver or the hunter's axe. And they all have, like, transforming features. Well, he's got a transforming feature. He's got a big-ass gun that shoots painful bullets. Like, big old, you know, scatter of bullets. I think it's a massive blunderbuss. And he just, you know, you proceed to have this fight in this field in front of the tree. And I want to say there's also some like headstones. So I, I believe that's supposed to be like previous hunters that maybe have done this cycle for him before, which in my eyes tells me, okay, this has happened so many times since the beginning kind of thing. Um, but yeah, then you have this fight with just him, him and you. And it's, you know, it starts out, he's got the sickle, and he has some pretty BS attacks. Like, he can hook you back into him and hit you with some pretty ones. But then, he, you know, eventually he goes to using more of a sword and blunderbuss. And then eventually he just goes full ham and goes, like, full powered on you. Now, the reason I say technical last boss is because technically there is a, a, a nether boss after him if you jump through certain hoops. But he is... Like, to me, he's he's really the epic boss because, like, I really feel that the boss that comes after him is kind of meh. It's worth it to see the ending, the quote-unquote good ending, as they call it. But, you know, he is, to me, he is, he is like, the, the best of the last. The, the, I, I look at him as the last boss. Um... But yeah, he's just got, and he's got such such intense attacks. Yet once again, there's the balance of like when he attacks and little cooldowns. If you really get used to noticing when he attacks, you know it's because of the rally system in uh, Bloodborne. You can learn okay if I take this last hit here, I can just like while he's cooling down, I can just go ham on him to get some of my life back and do some damage to him. And it just, it, it finds this really beautiful, I guess maybe that is the, the, the word of the day, balance to it. But it's, I think, like I said, I think some of these, some of these, it, it, the lore means just as much as the boss fight itself. Like the boss fight is almost secondary to the lore that you can feel in the background of, you know, like with Garman, you know, he was the first of these hunters. So... How long has he been doing this? You know, how long has he been bringing in hunters, having them help him for the the night of the hunt, and then kind of just dismissing them? Um, how many have failed? Uh, but yeah, so it's just kind of this. Yeah, and I, I realize I'm probably s- stuttering because I am a little bit tired, um, but. 
know, it's it's just a great feeling to fight Garman, you know, and feel that, you know, you're you're fighting the man who started this all as well as fighting this guy that was, you know, maybe he's corrupted, maybe he's not. Maybe he is legitimately just trying to help you by, you know, wanting you to sacrifice your life and have you wake up so you don't have to, you know, ever experience this, the hunter's dream anymore. But at the same time, part of me looks at, you're almost doing him a favor by killing him, whether you get the secret boss ending or not, because he's trapped there and he's been trapped there for a long time. Like there's points like if you, when you go to the hunter's dream and you can hear him, like he's almost like dreaming and he's crying for like people from the beginning, the beginning of the, the blood, whatever you want to call it, like the beginning of the timeline, essentially of this Yarnum, you know, catastrophe. Um, like Master Willem, and I want to say he might say something about Ludwig. I can't remember if he says anything about Ludwig or not. Maybe it's just Master William and uh, Lawrence. But, um, you know, so you get the feeling like he's not even happy here. So maybe he's trying to do you a favor by taking you out so you don't have to do this. But at the same time, I almost look as you're doing him a favor by killing him and taking him so he will not have to experience this anymore. Like, he's freed. Um... So, yeah. Okay, so I am now going to move on to the first game I ever platinumed. Well, other than a Lego game, but those don't count because Lego games are easy to platinum. And that is Sekiro, which is kind of totally different than anything, to me, anything from Soft done before because it's not stamina-based. It's poise-based. Like, you're, you're trying to break their... Or no, it's is it poise or what do they call it? The anyways, you're you're trying to break their like you know break their stance so you can get your your kill. So most of the time it's actually not even about life their life bar as much as it is their poise or I can't remember what they call it now. Anyways, um, and the first one I'm gonna go with is Genichiro of Ashina, Genichiro Ashina because. Up until him, I felt like I was kind of brute forcing my way through because it's really not a hard it's really not hard to do that in the early phases. Most of the bosses you can kind of find just roll out of the way, attack a couple times, roll out of the way, attack a couple times. With him, you really have to learn all the mechanics to me. Like he be, he was the first time it's like, okay, no, I have to know these mechanics. Because he's just so intense. And like, you know, the first... I want to say he only has two phases. Because he has Genichiro Vashina. And then he has like this Thunder God version of himself. And I can't remember what his name changes to at that point in time. But he... Everything he throws at you, you've been taught something that is a counter to that. And until him... I wasn't really forced to use some of those mechanics. And I think that's why he stands out. Now, I mean, not only is it an epic fight, and it potentially can actually be... I want to say that... Oh, no, it's sorry. It's Is it that fight, or is it the next time you come back there, you can technically end the game early? 
I can't remember. Um, I think it's later on. But um, anyway, so you, you get to the top of this castle and there he is. And you've actually technically fought him because technically when in the, the prologue you fight him, but it's one of those fights where like you're not meant to win the fight. And he takes your hand. That's why you have the, the mechanical arm kind of thing. But he, in this fight, like he is basically the culmination of every mechanic that you may or may not have learned up until this point. So like I had to go back and physically learn, like force myself to really understand some of the mechanics. And once I did, it clicked. I remember the first time I beat him, uh, when I beat him, I beat him with the most epic attack there is, which is like there's a, a counter to when somebody uses a lightning attack. If you're really good, you can do it. And I just happened to have the perfect timing. So I finished him with like the lightning reversal attack and it just turned out awesome. And from then I was like, okay, I get this game. I may still lose to bosses because the the next choice, let's face it, I lost to him way more times than I lost to Kanichiro. But Kanichiro was just awesome. And like because of that fight, everything clicked to me. And I still talk to people who have beat the game who it just didn't click. And I don't know how they got through Kanichiro because I could not have beat him without having that click of the mechanics start to, starting to work. Um, but like I said, Ganeshiro taught you the mechanics and you need all those mechanics for my next boss choice because he throws everything in the kitchen sink at you. And, you know, this one could be kind of considered a, a, a cheat to some extent because, but I, I, you know, I don't care. But, and that's Ishin the Sword Saint because... Lore involved, the the fight itself, the arena, the music, knowing it's the final boss, all of it just culminates in this be- this badass fight. Once again, you start out fighting Genichiro, but like he's kind of a you know, he's not really hard to beat. But you beat him and then his like essentially a younger version of Lord Ishin, who you've encountered as an old man several times, and you have heard the Lord of the lore of when he was, you know, at like his peak and he was this amazing warrior. But yeah, this young warrior version of Lord Ishin rips out of Genichiro, and you have Ishin the Sword Saint. And it is the first time I found a four phase boss. But he is truly intense. Like, he has a gun, which is weird in that world because not many people use guns in that game. Uh, He's fast. He hits hard. In later phases, he starts to throw lightning. But you need everything you got at your disposal to take him out. And the, the first time I beat him, I was both... I found it both awesome that I like, and so happy I beat him, but at the same time, so upset that I beat him because I was enjoying the fight so much. Like it was just this like real back and forth with him, you know, like 
kind of circling right, making sure he's, you know, like I did kind of use a little bit of a dark, typical Dark Souls tactic of trying to, you know, draw out certain attacks that I knew I could dodge better. But at the same time, you know, you're you're trying to keep your sword up because you want to keep, you know, you want to try to block him. You want to try to parry him every now and then. If you can get a Makari, Makari counter, I think is what it's called, you know, go for it. However, most of the time if you hit a Makari counter, he's going to counter you right back, unfortunately. Um, but he is just like this epic fight you know you're on this cliff and there's a thunderstorm towards the end of it when he starts using his lightning attacks but and and it's all for the soul of the little boy um what can i say i'm a sucker um but you know you're you just got this amazing lore built in built into the game the fight itself like you know i mean given it's kind of weird that ishin rips out of genichiro which I need to kind of dig into the lore on that of like, why was it he came out of? I don't know. Um, I mean, don't, don't get wrong. The, the, if you take the, the shorter run of the game and you have to fight Lord Ishin of Ashina, like as an old man, he's no one to slouch out either. I mean, even at like his advanced age, he will kick your ass if you're not careful. But Ishin the Sword Saint is just amazing you know four like i said four freaking phases and even if you die you have to do that ganichiro phase again so you have ganichiro and you have three phases as ishin the sword saint and each one of them like ramps up a little bit but it is so worth fight and i like you know i remember I've actually played through that one one time after I platinumed that game. And keep in mind, I have... I platinumed Bloodborne a while ago. I still replay Bloodborne. I've platinumed this Sekiro, and I've platinumed Elden Ring. I don't know if I really have any intent to go back through Elden Ring, unless my buddy Tony wants to finish his playthrough, which I will gladly jump back in there and try to help him with, with finishing that off, because I'd like to see him complete it, but... At the same time, if he never does, I don't blame him. They're they're tough games. Um, so yeah, so this like Sword Saint is probably one of my top ten all time from soft game fights, just for the the full encounter of it. Um, yeah. So now we're gonna move into Elden Ring. Uh, most recent, of course. Um, and I really had a trouble with this one only because there's so many freaking bosses. And a lot of them kind of get burned out by the fact that like they reoccur. Like, you know, like because they have so many dungeons, instead of making extra bosses, they just reused some of the bosses in the dungeons. But... I'm going to go with, for a similar reason as Genichiro of Ashina, I'm going to go with Margit slash Margot. Um, Mag- Magret is the first, like, true boss you face in the game. And once similar to Genichiro, he's kind of like, he's there to teach you, like, hey, 
remember you have this hidden stagger system so you've got to keep it using you know your jumping jumping and heavy attacks um he's he is difficult though too i mean he's also he's very much like the the brick wall you're supposed to hit to really teach you some stuff so he you know he's what magret the magret the fell omen i think is what his name is and he's he uses like you know when you get to his second phase he starts using magic on you which is becomes really really hard because it'll start like using or he starts using like a, a magic hammer or something like that because i think he always had the ability to like throw like these things at you or use like a a, a small dagger as well as this just like giant club <clears throat> but he is just he is balls hard until you get the mechanics of it. And then, except for like, actually, I've talked to people who had no problem fighting him. Like me, I, I bang my head against the wall trying to get, just trying to get used to his his system, like his, uh, his patterns, like his attack patterns. And I consistently would get to his second phase, but man, his second phase becomes hectic when he starts having all the extra magic attacks. But then... I feel with Magret, you almost have to hit put Magrat, which is like his, the Omen King version of him. It's like basically like another version of him. If I read it right, Magret was like basically like a shadow or like a, a shade version of him. It's like a, uh, like almost like a spectral version of him because he's been at the throne, like protecting the, the tree, the Erd tree this entire time or whatever. But when you fight him the second time, he breaks the staff and it's like basically got a blade in there and it becomes a way more intense fight. Like he's got a lot more speed. He now can, I want to say he can do like bleed damage. But, you know, it's, but to me, I feel like you have to have both of them to really recognize one of them kind of thing. Like I, I do think Magret was really cool as far as like teaching the mechanics, but Magrat was just like, was like him to the next level. And like I said, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of cheating, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's my podcast. I'm going to do what I want. So I put them together as like one fight because it kind of tells the whole story of the character. You know, like even as he's dying as Magret, he tells you he'll, he'll, you know, he'll remember your face or whatever. And sure enough, when you find him in the capital city later on, he very much remembers you. Hence why he pulls out the sword um, and his magic attacks become like so much more intense. Um, so yeah, so that's Magret such slash Magrat. Um, I'm really quickly going to put in a little bit of a, of a honorable mention. Cause the more I think about it, the more I've just got to mention it. And that's millennia. Um, she's awesome. She's tough, but she is bullshit hard. Like, I freely admit, she is bullshit hard. Like, I could never crack the... Like, I had to have summons to beat her. Like, I just wanted to beat her just so I could get the the, the achievement for doing it. Because I wanted the trophy for it. But she was bullshit hard. Like, they make her, like, way, way too stacked with abilities. Like, you know, oh, every time she hits you, she reheals herself a little bit. And... You know, she's got the, I want to say they call it like swan dance or 
something like that. It's just this like three or four phase attack that has like a massive AOE on it. That when you get to her second phase and she's um, uses the uh, is it crimson rot. Oh my god, it's just bullshit. Because not only then do you have to worry about the damage itself, you also have to worry about being given crimson rot, which kills you like like just drains your damage extremely fast. Um. So yeah, and I, I know there's people who who love that fight, and I I like it. I like the beauty of it. I like the idea of it, but I just think that it's that one they stacked a little too much on. So, but anyways, for this last one. And this one might be controversial to some people, but it's just for the 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 feel of the fight, for the the epicness of the fight, and that's the fire giant at the top of the mountain. Oh my god, it's just this badass fight! Like you go into the arena, you can be on your horse, which is one of the few bosses you can actually get on your horse for, and he is huge. And, you know, you have to, it, it's a little bit of a puzzle fight because you have to figure out there's certain spots you have to hit on him. Like, if you just hit any spot, you're barely doing damage. But, like, in the first phase, you have to, he has, like, a, a brace on one of his ankles. So you have to go after that ankle and break that brace and then keep hitting that one foot till it basically causes the grossest compound fracture you will ever see in video gaming to me. Because it's just like suddenly his leg breaks like physically sideways. He rips it off of him or he rips it off and like burns it. And then you go into the second phase where he's on, he's like, he's kind of on his knees, but he'll like roll around on you. And it, but it's like, it's just the, the pure feel of being, you know, being in this wide open snow field, like on the top of a mountain. And he is huge. And, it works. Like, um, I know uh, Tony's probably going to be cursing me for thinking this is a great fight because I know he, in his playthrough with a magic build, as watching him, I realized, okay, magic builds do not work on this guy because you have to be held still to cast your spells. It's not like you can cast as many spells while moving. And he has such range and such power that if you're holding still to do magic, you almost have to have somebody else there, like, keeping him busy, keeping him in one spot so you can cast a spell. Which is where I think Elden Ring falls, to some extent, is, like, the magic really, it's like, they really don't make the bosses slow down much, so it's like, you almost have to have that someone. But that that's another whole argument. Like, I feel like Elden Ring is meant to be played with summons, with... Spirit Ashes. It's not meant to be played just you. Where the other Dark Souls games, I feel like, are kind of meant to be, you know, like, meant to be played one way or the other. But yeah, the Fire Giant, you know, and then you get to the lore of, you know, he was, you know, he's protecting the cauldron because he doesn't want, you know, like, he's, he's the last of the giants and he's there. Like, you see all the other giants, like, dead on your way up to him. And he's protecting the cauldron so nobody can burn the Erd Tree because it's the only way to burn the Erd Tree. But it's this epic fight in this great, you know, great empty, well, and I shouldn't say empty snowfield because there are rocks and some trees and stuff. But, you know, just fighting this guy in this wide open arena who's so huge. And, like, really the only chances you get to hit are his feet and his hands when he's in his 
uh, second phase, unless you want to hang out by his hip and hit his hip for a lot less damage. But like, really, it's the ideas of the like thing. If you want to do most damages, you have to get his his leg in the first phase, and I want to say it's his hand, both his hands in the second phase. Not to mention, like in this, when he goes into the second phase, he also like a third eye opens, like or a eye opens on his chest, which is kind of creepy. But so yeah, that's those are my all my picks for like the best FromSoft games. Doing it in that in that way, I mean, there are so many epic boss fights. Like in Dark Souls One, I could think of a couple probably other ones. Dark Souls 2, I try to forget. Dark Souls 3, I know there's several more bosses that I could easily put on there. Um, Bloodborne, almost any boss. Sekiro, I could think of a couple more. Elden Ring, I'd really have to struggle with. Because like I said, that game is like... It's beautiful. It's a great ideas. But I really think they failed some of the balance of that game. But we'll see. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll vi- revisit... Elden Ring at some point in time and I'll find something else that is worth you know picking up about it um so yeah I mean you know so I'm gonna put it out there what, what's your thoughts listener what do you think of the FromSoft games if you've played them um you know feel free to to send me a message and tell me why I'm wrong about Dark Souls 2 being such a crap game because I really feel it is I just feel it falls apart um yeah, you can contact me at standstrongcast at gmail.com. Um I'm gonna do my usual thank yous to everybody who's been you know been a part of me, you know, you know, spider for his art on my body and on my wall. Um visit him if you're in the north if you're in was it Southwest Portland or Southwest Washington visit him in black battleground at five star tattoo. He's a great tattoo artist. I'd still be going to him if I hadn't have moved. Um, thank you to Michelle and Tony for, you know, for being there for me through a lot of stuff. See ya.